Nathan. If your desire this morning is to know God more and more every single day, will you say amen? And that should be all of our desires this morning. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here this morning. Today we're going to be starting a new series, and it's called People of Integrity. People of Integrity. Each and every, for the next three Sundays, we're going to be looking at a different Bible character, and we're going to be kind of breaking open their stories and looking inside and seeing what it means to be a person of integrity. A person of integrity. Um, But before we do that, before each uh, sermon in this series, we're going to be saying a communal prayer together. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to be saying this prayer together that comes from Psalm 119. So let's pray this together this morning. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed. When I compare my life with your commands, as I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations that you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Amen? You can be seated this morning. They say that whenever you preach a sermon, you have to be careful. Because when you preach a sermon, you need to make sure that before you preach it, that God has spoken to you, the preacher, before you ever get on the platform. They say that if God hasn't spoken to you first through a sermon that he is preparing you to preach, then you should not preach it. And I can tell you this morning that with full confidence that God has challenged me with what I'm going to preach this morning. Please know that whatever I say today and whatever God may be challenging you through this message, I have been truly affected by what I'm about to preach this morning. God's spoken to me through this, and I trust that he will speak to you as well. We're going to be kicking off this series, People of Integrity, by looking at the story of Daniel. So if you want to go ahead and flip to Daniel chapter 1, that's what we'll be spending the first part of our time. We might, we're going to flip to chapter 6 after that, but we're going to start in Daniel chapter 1. Here in Daniel, we find the people in exile. They are in exile. They are lost. They are broken. They are under the rule of the Babylonians, and it seems as if all hope has been lost. And it's while the Israelites are in exile that they worry that their customs, that their religions, that the traditions that they had had for so long, they worry that their culture is going to be lost to the Babylonians just as well as the land. It is while Israel is in Babylonian captivity that they begin to worry about the lives of their children. They begin to worry that their children would no longer be the people of God that they had been called to be. But they would instead be, they they would marry the Babylonians or they would feast with Babylonians so that their children would become Babylonians and forget their God. Israel during this time, they're worried that they're losing their grip on God's plan for creation. 
that slowly but surely the people of God are turning in to Babylonians. And soon there will be no people of God, but only Babylon. That's the fears of the people of God during this passage. The people of God are in the midst of an identity crisis. So I want you to keep that in mind as we begin to read Daniel chapter 1. So let's go ahead and read. Daniel 1.1 says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Now, I think there's a reason that the writer of Daniel begins the book this way. I don't think that necessarily the writer wanted to make sure that we understood that the possessions of Israel were taken by Nebuchadnezzar. I don't think he was necessarily worried that we made sure that we realized that that they took the treasures of Israel and put it in Babylonia's uh, treasure houses. I don't think that's the point of the beginning of the story this way. What I think that the writer is trying to do is make a metaphor and reveal to us a little bit of God's heart. You see, the people of Israel, just like these articles from the temple, were stolen away from their proper place. And just like the articles from the temple, the people of God had belonged in the midst of God. They belonged in the presence of God. They belonged with God, and they were supposed to be his reflection in this world. But just like the articles from the temple, the people of God found themselves in Nebuchadnezzar's house. They found themselves in a place that was not their own, in a place that does not welcome their God, a place that does not share their beliefs, in a place that is wholly and ultimately anti-Yahweh, a place that is against their God. And just like the articles of the temple, the people of God found themselves stolen away and placed right in the center of an unfamiliar land in the midst of sinners and pagans and false gods. As I begin to read this passage, I realize that we, just like the people of Israel, are finding ourselves in the midst of exile. We're in the midst of a culture and a society that is wholly and totally anti-Yahweh, that is anti-God. We are in a strange, strange land filled with sinners and pagans and lots of different kinds of false gods. That's where we find ourselves. We, too, are like the articles from the temple who have been stolen away and placed on a shelf in Nebuchadnezzar's house. That's where we find ourselves today as the people of God. So I believe that we, just like the Israelites, have to answer similar questions about our time in exile Questions like this. What does living in exile, what does living in the land of the enemy mean for me, for my family, for my beliefs? The people of Israel struggled with this question. How do I live the life that God has called me to live while I'm in exile? How do I live a godly life in the midst of a secular world, in a world whose whose narrative and whose story is directly counter to mine? How How do I live when the people around me live completely different than I do? How do we, as the people of God, live in exile today? That's the question we have to ask ourselves this morning. And I think that Daniel is going to try and provide some answers for us. We are living in exile today. So how are we going to live? Let's continue on. Verse 3. Then the king ordered Aspenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. 
He was to teach them the language and the literature of Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. I was really worried I was going to mess up one of those names, but I did pretty good, so I'm really happy about that. So here's where we find the implications behind the people of God living in exile where they were. Here's where the rubber meets the road. This is where we see what it looks like for the people of God to live in exile. The king of Babylon ordered the young and healthy Israelites to be brought in. Why? Because he was going to teach them the language and literature of Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. The sole purpose for Nebuchadnezzar asking these Israelites to come in to his palace, the purpose for what the king was doing was to make these Israelites and mold them into little Babylonians. That was his purpose. It was to press upon, impress upon them the Babylonian language so they would speak like Babylonians. And it was to give them Babylonian literature so they would think like Babylonians and give them Babylonian food so they would eat like Babylonians. They even went so far as to change their names into Babylonian names so they would look, they would act, they would think, they would eat, they would be referred to not as the people of God, but as Babylonians. Babylon wanted to strip them of their identity as the people of God and mold them into Babylonians. What they chose to do in this moment was crucial. Daniel and the people of God had to ask themselves in this moment, do we conform and be molded into Babylonians? Do we eat their food? Do we read their literature? Do we speak their language? Or do we remain what we are called to be? Do we remain a people who are wholly identified with our relationship with Yahweh? Instead of being molded into Babylonians, are we instead going to be molded into people of integrity? How will they respond? Well, let's see. Let's read on. Daniel 1.8 says this, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. You see, when faced with the possibility of being conformed to the Babylonians and to the people around him, Daniel resolved not to defile himself. When it came to walking as the Babylonians walk and eating as the Babylonians ate and drinking as they drank, Daniel said no. He would not allow himself to be defiled by the secular culture around him. He kept his eyes fixed on God's plan and God's purpose. And when the world around him tried to mold him, Daniel said, no. But can we say the same? Can we live on a shelf in Nebuchadnezzar's house today? Can we sit at his table? Can we be in exile in a foreign land this morning, but not allow ourselves to be formed and molded by the culture around us? Because each of us has a choice in the exile we find ourselves in. Daniel had a choice when he was in exile. Are we going to choose the easy route and eat at the table of the Babylonians? Are we going to read their literature and think like they do? Are we going to allow our hearts and our minds to be molded and changed by the people and the culture and the society around us? Or will we choose not to defile ourselves? Will we choose not to be molded by the Babylonians, by the society around us, but instead be molded and changed into people of integrity by a God who loves and cares for us and who wants the best for us? And I can tell you this morning that one 
way is drastically easier than the other. It is really, really, really easy to talk and to live and to eat as the Babylonians do. It is easy to be formed and changed by the culture that we find ourselves in today. As I was talking with Pastor Travis about the message I was going to speak this morning, and he asked this question, and it, it made me think. He said, I wonder how many Israelites sat at the table that Daniel had sat at and did not choose not to defile themselves. I wonder how many Israelites sat at that same table and ate of the king's food and allowed themselves to be molded into Babylonians. I wonder how many people allowed themselves to be formed into Babylonians before Daniel set up and stood up and said no. I wonder how many Israelites chose the easy route before Daniel stood up and said no. Because sitting down at Nebuchadnezzar's table and doing as the Babylonians do is always easier. As I read this passage, I was reminded of the time I was saved, and I was saved in middle school at church camp. Um, when I was saved at church camp and I finally gave my life over to God, um, I felt like church camp was, was almost like the promised land for me. It was my high point. It's where I felt close to God. It's where I felt his spirit in a real and clear way, and I was surrounded by other Christian people, and it felt like the promised land. But then... Like every church camp, it has to come to an end, and you pack in the bus, and you drive back home, and then you have to go back to school, and you have to go back into the secular culture that you found yourself in. So I had to go back to school, and I had to go back amongst people who, I didn't, share, who didn't share my faith. I had to go back amongst my friends who know, I know did not serve God, and I, I felt like I was being thrown into exile in those moments. I was attempting to live a Christ-centered life, this new, real, Christ-centered life that I had just given over to God in a very secular world, in a secular school. And it all came to a head, just not a few weekends after I got back from camp. I had been invited over to a friend's house who was having a camp out, and there was five or six guys that were there, and I knew them all pretty well. They were all my friends. And we were having a good time at this camp out, <clears throat> but then the later it got, the more... The more um, I, the things were being done that I wasn't comfortable with. There were things being said I wasn't comfortable with, things that were being done that I felt were not, was not the life that God had called me to live just a few weeks earlier when I had been saved at camp. So I had a choice in that moment, sitting around that fire while all these things were being done around me. It was as if I was Daniel, and there was this Babylonian feast that was sitting in front of me. And I, like Daniel, had a choice in that moment. I could, I could participate, and I could do what they were doing, I could talk like they were talking and do the things they did, and that would have been the super easy thing, to just conform to what was going on at that camp out that weekend. But instead, I remembered what God had called me to just a few weeks earlier. Instead, I resolved within myself that I would not allow myself to be molded by the culture around me. I had made a decision for Christ just a few weeks earlier, and I wasn't going to allow my faith to go out the window just because I was in exile. So I left, and I, I called my parents to come pick me up, and like any good parents, they woke up at like 2 o'clock in the morning and came and picked me up and didn't ask a question about it. But you see, I wasn't going to allow myself to fall into that very easy trap of being molded by the secular society around me. Now, don't get me wrong. They were still my friends. The next week at school, I still ate lunch with them. I still, I still had classes with them. We still joked around. But they, at, after that night, they kind of knew where I stood. After that night, they saw that I had boundaries I wasn't going to cross. And after that night, they knew who I served. And it wasn't the secular society around me. It was a very real 
and Almighty God that I had met at church camp just a few weeks earlier. I wasn't going to allow anybody else to mold me but him and his spirit. The easy route is to take and be molded by the Babylonians. What is required of us is complete surrender to God and allowing him to do the molding. Amen? What is molding you this morning? But look at what happens when we make that choice not to defile ourselves. We make that choice not to defile ourselves, but instead step out in faith and be molded by people of integrity. Look what happens. Verse 8 says this, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? The king would have, had, would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables instead. To these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding and all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So do you see what came out of Daniel's obedience? Because he stepped out and he chose not to defile himself, Daniel blessed him and the other three men. Because they offered themselves to God in complete surrender and allowed God to do the molding. And they they received wisdom, and they received understanding, and they received gifts. And God uses those men all throughout this book to have an impact on the Babylonian rulers that they found themselves under. They had opportunities to show life and God's life and God's love and God's truth with the people in their culture. All because they stepped out in faith and didn't allow themselves to be molded by the society around them. The easy thing is to be molded by Babylonians. But when we allow ourselves to be formed by Christ, he will make us more into his image. We will be his reflections here on earth. If we allow, him, if we allow ourselves to be molded by God, he will take us places that we never imagined and use us in ways that we didn't think possible. But it all begins with a choice. Even for Daniel, he had to make a choice. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Daniel made the con- conscious deci- decision that he would not defile himself that he would not be defiled by the secular context that he found himself in. He wasn't going to be molded by it, but instead he was going to let God define his identity. He was going to let God define his future, and he was going to let God define his destiny because God's ways are better than Nebuchadnezzar's ways, and God's knowledge was better than Nebuchadnezzar's knowledge, and God's love is so much more than Nebuchadnezzar could ever, ever love. But I believe that all too often, The Nebuchadnezzars of this world try to convince us that they are greater, but they are not. Our God is greater, and he should and is above, he should be and is above everything else. The Nebuchadnezzars of this world are really good at trying to convince you that in them you can find identity, and in in them you can find wholeness, and in them you can find peace. But let me tell you this morning, church, that those are downright lies. And if you chase the Nebuchadnezzar of this world and allow yourself to be molded by Nebuchadnezzar and you get comfortable sitting at his table, you will never and you can never be satisfied or whole or find peace at Nebuchadnezzar's table. But even though we live in the land of Babylon, 
we know there is one in whom we can find wholeness and peace and restoration and goodness and love and strength. And his name is Jesus Christ. And if you surrender yourself to him this morning and allow yourself to be molded by him, you will find purpose and you will find identity and you will find love and meaning and hope in Jesus Christ this morning. Even though we live in Babylon, we cannot allow ourselves to be molded by Babylon. We must be molded by the one who is with us even now here in exile, the one who loves us and cares for us and who has a plan for us. Allow yourself to be molded by Jesus Christ this morning. After Daniel made this decision not to defile himself, and after God blessed him, Daniel found himself in the high ranks of the Babylonian kingdom. King after king went by, and Daniel continued to find himself at the top of the administrators of Babylon. And because Daniel was so distinguished among the other administrators in Babylon, the other administrators began to grow jealous of Daniel. And they looked for a way to get at Daniel somehow. They looked for a way to frame him and get him out of the picture. So they came up with a plan. So we're going to flip to verse 6 now, a, a story that you probably know very well. So chapter 6, verse 6 says this. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, My king Darius, live forever. The real administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty issued the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Once again, the secular society that Israel finds themselves in is attempting to mold the people of God into Babylonians. They are attempting to pull the Israelites into the Babylonian belief and culture by passing these laws. It's like chapter 1 all over again. But how does, Dan how does Daniel respond this time? Verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published... He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. Nothing had changed for Daniel. Decree or no decree, he was going to pray to God and he wasn't going to keep it a secret. Look at what Daniel does. It, I mean, if it was me, I probably would have went into a back room, shut the blinds, locked the door, then went into a closet and locked that door, and then prayed, right? But that's not what Daniel does. Instead, Daniel goes to his upstairs room where the windows are open towards the city, where anyone in the city, if they looked up toward Daniel's room, could see him praying. And I imagine Daniel throwing open his windows and walking out on the balcony and praying loud and proud over the city of Jerusalem. That's how Daniel reacted to being in exile. That's how he responds to the Babylonians' attempts to mold him and to change him. And that's how Daniel responds to a society that attempts to pull him away from his God. Daniel takes a step of faith in front of his window and puts the glory of God on display for all to see. In a place that was totally anti-God, Daniel's actions present something completely different. Daniel presents total surrender to God. He was not ashamed of his tradition, he was not ashamed of his religion, and he was not ashamed of his God, but instead he stepped out and showed the Babylonians who he truly served. I know that if I ask you, or I ask myself, are you ashamed of the gospel, your answer would be no, and my answer would be no. 
But I want you to think about that this morning. Do, do your actions reflect it? Do my actions reflect it? Do we really live as if we're not ashamed of the gospel? Do we live as if we're not really ashamed of what God has done in our lives? Do we really live as if we've been saved? Do we really live if we, if we, as if we have been sent by Christ into the, into the nations to make his disciples? Do we live like it? Even though you live in Babylon and you shop in Babylon, you go to school in Babylon, and yes, church, even when you eat in Chick-fil-A, even though they're closed on Sundays, and even though their chicken sandwiches are heavenly, it is still Babylon, I promise. Even though you're in Babylon, do you throw open your windows and present to the world your new life in Christ? Or do you cower behind closed shades and locked doors? And you're, are you afraid of the lion's den that might await you if you stepped out on your balcony to pray? I get it, because like, this is the part of the message that when I was writing it, I was cringing a little bit. Because it began to convict me. Because sometimes I feel like I've failed in this. If you asked me if I was ashamed of the gospel, I would say, of course not. And then I would show you my business card that says I'm a pastor. It's like, see, I'm not. How can I be? I'm a pastor. Why would I be ashamed of that? But then I had to ask myself, am I really and truly opening windows everywhere I go and putting the glory of God on display? Am I attempting to share my faith with the people who, who are living in and being conformed by Babylon around me? Am I sharing the gospel and the story of how Christ can save sinners with the Babylonians I'm around who are destined for destruction if they continue down the path they're on? I don't know. Are you? And I understand what some of you might be thinking because these were my thoughts. I've thought it many times. I always just say, well, I don't know. I'm kind of an introvert. I don't really talk to people. I'm not really a big fan of talking to people. And I get nervous and I get anxious and my heart starts beating really fast when I think about how I have to share my faith with other people. And there's just no way I could go up to someone and share my faith with them. And I understand that because I'm in the same boat. But to you and to me, I say, are you introverted? Do you hate talking to people? Good, because the more incapable that we are, the more desperate we are, the more terrified that we are or anxious we are, the more that we have to lean on the strength that God can provide. The more terrified we are, the more that we have to rely on the peace that only the Spirit can provide. Do you hate talking to people? Good, because it's not going to be you that's doing the talking. If you are living a life that's constantly being molded by Christ and you're living a life that's ruled by His Spirit, it won't be you doing the talking. It's God doing the talking through you. God's going to be providing the words to speak and the wisdom to know what to say. It won't be you doing the talking this morning. God's Spirit goes with us even out into Babylon to share our faith. Amen? God's Spirit is alive and real inside of you. And when you step out on your balcony to share your faith, He is with you even then. 1 Timothy 1.7 is one of my favorite verses for times like these. It says this, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. When God's Spirit is with you, there is no timidity. There is no fear. There is only power, and there is only love, and there is discipline to carry you out into Babylon to begin sharing your faith. God's Spirit carries your feet out onto the balcony where you can profess your faith and show His grace to a world who desperately needs to hear it. I feel like we get so worried about 
being embarrassed or making mistakes or making someone angry. We get too worried to step out in faith because we're afraid of what people might think or what people might do or what people might say. But can I remind you this morning, there's way too much at stake to worry about being embarrassed. There's too much at stake to be worried about making people mad. There's too much at stake to worry what people might say to you. There are people in your schools and in your workplaces and in your community who are headed toward eternal death if we do not step out and say something. God is looking to use you and me to do something about it. He is looking for us to take the first step out onto our balconies, to profess our faith to a society who does not believe what we do, to show people who are molded by a sinful culture, what it looks like to be molded into the image of God. Daniel took one step of faith out of his comfort zone. He was a man who had not been molded into the image of society he was in, but instead was molded into a person of integrity by an almighty God. And because of that faith, he was able to put God on display. He didn't care what people would say or do, and he didn't care that it even meant execution. But instead... He took a step out, and look what happened. We all know the story. Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den and left for dead. But the next morning, the den was open, and Daniel was unharmed because God had closed the mouths of the lions. And this is what happened. Read with me, verse 25. This is what happened after they took Daniel out of the den. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves us. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Because Daniel took a step of faith out onto his balcony, people came to know the God of Israel in a very real way. And because Daniel allowed himself to be molded by God instead of the people around him, the whole nation turned to serve Yahweh. Too many times I feel like sometimes we can become comfortable living in exile where we find ourselves. We become comfortable living in Babylon. I think that we realize that this has become a post-Christian society. We realize that our culture threatens Christian values and we understand how we have been stolen away from the promised land and set on Nebuchadnezzar's shelf. And we have one of two reactions. The first reaction is this. What do you do? This is just the, live, the world we live in. What are you going to do? We shake our heads, we shrug our shoulders, and we don't try to do anything about it. That's one reaction you can take. Or we can step out on our balconies and do something about it. We can throw open our curtains and unlock our doors, and we can go out into Babylon and show the people what our God really, truly looks like. We can have conversations, we can build relationships, and we can step out of our comfort zone, all with the purpose of to take God out into Babylon. We can't leave evangelism and sharing your faith to the pastors, because sometimes we don't do that good a job of it either. We aren't in your schools every day. We aren't in your workplaces every day. We aren't in your communities every day. But you are. And God wants to use you right where you are to share the gospel with the people that you're around. He wants to mold you and shape you into his image, and then he wants to send you out to make more Christ-molded people. God wants to use you where you are to share your faith with the people you're around. You might be a student this morning, but I want to tell you this morning, you are first and foremost a servant of the high God. And you might work in a, in a factory or a plant this morning, but you are first and foremost a servant of the high God. And you might work in an office, but you are first and foremost a servant of the high God. 
You might be retired this morning, but you're first and foremost a servant of the high God. God wants to use you in your workplaces and your schools and wherever you are to spread his good news. God wants you to throw open your windows and put his glory on display, his goodness on display, right where you are, sharing it with the others that you are around. Even though we're in exile, God wants to use us and mold us. I believe that God's, our displacement in exile is God's placement in his plan. I believe that God's, that our displacement in exile is God's placement in his plan. God did not give up on the peace people of Israel just because they were in exile, but instead he, he allowed, he used them and he molded them and he shaped them. And he continued to have a plan with them even though they were in exile. And the same is true for us today. Even though we, as the people of God today, are in exile, God has a plan for his people. He has a plan to to save us and to save the people that are around us. Each of us were sinners and each of us were broken and each of us were shamed and headed for death. But because God loved us so much, he sent his son to become our sin and our shame and our brokenness. And Christ was perfect and he was sinless. And our sins rested on his shoulders as he died that death on the cross that day. But the good news is that our story does not end there. Aren't you glad? Our story does not end with Jesus dead on a cross. But Christ was crucified, and he was dead, and he was buried in a tomb. But three days later, he's rose from the dead, and he's ascended into heaven. And even now, he sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty, and he is interceding on our behalf. Because Christ died for our sins and was resurrected, we too can be made dead to our sins and be resurrected into a new life in Christ. All he requires is that we give our life over to him, that we make Christ the King and Lord over our heart and life, that we accept him as our personal Lord and Savior. Christ will return one day, and we look forward to that day in anticipation. And on that day, all things will be made new, and there'll be no more sorrow or pain, and every tear will be wiped away. If you look forward to that day, will you say amen? And Christ will gather up all of his followers into the clouds, and we will get to live eternally in paradise with our God. Will everyone stand with me as we finish? I encourage you this morning that if you do not know Christ and you do not have a personal relationship with him, if you're here this morning and you find yourself broken and torn down, if you're here this morning and you feel lost and you feel heavy in your sin and your shame, I say to you, wait no longer. Today is the day. Come Come to Jesus this morning. We have these altars here in front. Come to Jesus this morning. Lay down your sin and your shame and your brokenness on his shoulders so that you may have life. He died so you did not have to carry the weight of your sin. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, Pastor Nathan's going to sing in just a moment. And I encourage you to wait no longer. Come forward. Change it today. Offer your life over to him. You can come to the altar this morning and pray to God that he will be ruler of your heart and life. Find healing and find hope, restoration, love, forgiveness right here at the altar this morning. It is waiting for you. All you have to do is come. And for those of you who already have a relationship with Jesus this morning, my question for you is this. Are you being molded by him? You know him. You have accepted him into your life. But are you allowing him to mold you? Are you allowing his spirit to sanctify you and to shape you and to mold you into Christ? Are you being, or are you being molded into Babylon? Are you allowing the things of this world, the people of this world, to mold you into Babylonians? If that's the case, I just encourage you to come. 
And just like Daniel, come down to this altar and make a choice not to defile yourself any longer with the things of Babylon. But instead, right here this morning, we can be molded and shaped by our God. Or you may be here this morning and you, like me, feel like you failed to truly put your faith on display. Maybe you've kept your curtain closed and the door locked this morning. Maybe you wanted to come this morning and pray that God would begin to open opportunities in your workplaces or in your schools to begin sharing your faith with other people. Maybe God has placed someone on your mind that he wants you to share the good news with and you want to come forward this morning and pray for that person that God would give you the wisdom and the words to begin to speak to them and have those conversations. Maybe you want to come forward and pray for them this morning. We are in exile at the church this morning. We live in a land that is not our own, a land filled with pagans and sinners and a whole lot of false gods. But the question is, who are we going to be molded by this morning? How are you going to respond? As Nathan said, 